The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. Looking forward to getting into the Word this morning. Have you ever noticed that God's Word is, is kind of always speaking to you? Like you'll, you'll have something stir in your heart, or you'll hear something, and you'll find a way to apply it to your life personally. Uh, and, and this morning is going to be very personal for me, and, and now it's a little bit unfair because I'm the one that's actually bringing the Word, right? So, so I'm probably a little biased. It's probably rooted a little bit in my weekly activities, the things maybe I witnessed or saw, and, and now this is the direction that I lean. And I've got to confess that that really is the case, okay? So uh, I had a, a, a few activities this week that involved working with people, and sometimes people aren't always uh, reliable or dependable or uh, friendly, and you've worked with people, you understand those things. So you're constantly having an opportunity to, to live out your call to be like Jesus, uh, to be patient and to be kind and be loving, to produce the fruits of the Holy Spirit, you know? And I mean, when we grow up in the church environment, sometimes those things become very uh, children's ministry oriented. The reality is that is for all believers. Things like love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the things I know uh, one of our elders, Bill Ashland, worked in children's ministry for a long time, wrote songs about the fruits of the Holy Spirit, you know. Uh, so we learn those things growing up, and the reality is they're, they're not children's messages. They're the foundation of the life of, of the believer, to the, the producer of those things that are of God's Spirit. So uh, this week, I'm going to open up with a little bit of a confession, okay? Now, let me just make sure nobody blows this out of proportion. There are no warrants out for my arrest. There's nothing like that right now. But I, I had a, a very strong... And my wife just said, oh, gosh, are you, is that a warning? Do I need to be careful? Sometimes I, I may be too transparent, right? But I had a situation this week where uh, something didn't go as it was planned, and patience was extended, and then patience was uh, squandered, and then it, it was presumed upon. It became really a challenge. And, and I did voice my frustration uh, to, to my wife. Now, obviously, it wasn't her she didn't cause the frustration, but I was telling her, I need to tell you this is how I feel because I don't think it's good. I don't think it's good that I feel this way, so I'm telling you. And, and that is actually a, a good thing. Did you ever wonder why, like, you know, when, when Adam and Eve or everything's being established in the garden, you know, the idea that you had man and, and woman, that is, is because, you know, every now and then I need my wife to say, whoa, man. You know, like, you need to stop and back off because that's not going to end well. Well, I went to her and just said, hey, I, I need to tell you something. I'm dealing with this. It's very frustrating. And this was the thought that I had. The thought that I had was very aggressive. The thought that I had was, was uh, not going to be a productive way to respond to it. And she, in her wonderful, you know, womanly ways, uh, told me, yeah, that's not good, and you need to not think that, and you need to handle it like a believer, which was very, very good. But what I realized was this is going on in my life, and it's probably going on in everybody else's life. Now, 
what it is, is it would be a word that is uh, provocation. You're being provoked, provoked to do things, provoked to, to behave certain ways or, or, or to respond or react or, or, or you know, perform in ways that uh, are, are maybe not very productive. So I want to get into the word and I want to examine those things and why it's important for us to understand this. So here's a few things that we're going to find as we get into the word. Uh, one thing we're going to find is what's not easy for God. Now, that might sound kind of goofy, but, you know, we, we grow up in church circles where we're always being told what's easy for God. You know, I mean, you, you, you have situations and circumstances where you want to see God move and perform, you know, some act of provision or a miracle, and those are, are great. And we ought to seek those things from God and expect those things from God. But we're constantly being told what's easy for God. Hey, it's easy for God to show up and, and do that. It's easy for God. Now, there's a few things in the Word that are, are hard for God. Like one, one he can't do. He can't lie, right? I mean, if God says it, it's true. I mean, he, he can look into the dark void and say there's light, and, and he's not lying. All of a sudden, there's light. If he says it, it goes. So there's a few things in the Scripture that aren't easy for God to do, and we'll see one of those. Another thing we're going to find is what does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? What does that mean? Uh, we say it often. We sing it. It's in our vocabulary. Uh, it's in our, our, our culture as, as the Christian church that Jesus is Lord. What's it mean? And, and how can I examine my life to see if that's really true? If it's not just a cadence or something that I say, but if it's actually a reality. And then a the third thing that we're going to find is what's needed in order to see salvation. Now, salvation, I'm not referring to being born again. I'm referring to victory or deliverance. I mean, if we have a problem or, or we're dealing with a challenge and we want to see a solution to that challenge, you could define that as salvation or, or deliverance, victory, breakthrough, whatever word fits your vocabulary best. There's something that's needed in order to see that victory, and we'll find that in the Scripture. So I want to jump right in. And, and I want to establish what's, you know, not easy for God. And again, I know that's a weird way to say it, but just bear with me. So in order to get where we're going with that, we have to lay a foundation. And I want to give you a verse of scripture from 1 John. 1 John, you'll find it in chapter 4. You'll find it in verse 8. Identifying that God is love. God is love. I mean, we, we, we say it, we're aware of that. But it's very important that we understand that God is love when we begin to establish where we're going next with this. Once we know that God is love, I want us to, to consider a passage of Scripture from Corinthians. If you want to take it down for your notes, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 begins to describe what love is or what makes up love as it's described in, in the words that, that you and I use on a daily basis. Uh, beginning in verse 4, it says, love is patient, love is kind, love uh, does not envy, it doesn't brag, it's not arrogant, it doesn't act unbecomingly, it doesn't seek its own. And then it goes on to say that love is not easily provoked. I mean, the, the list goes on and it ultimately ends with that love succeeds, that love never fails. What I want us to do is consider this, that God is love, so everything on this list, God is. 
I mean, if this list says that love is kind, then God is kind. If this list says that, that love is patient, then God is patient. If this list says that love is not easily provoked, then God is not easily provoked. Now, you and I have a call to, to be raised up as the sons and the daughters of God to be just like him. So when I look at this list, I see a, a description that is meant to be pursued in my life. I have to ask myself, has Preston Humphreys ever been described as patient, kind, you know, not being envious, not being arrogant or bragging? Not, I mean, this is a really powerful list of, of descriptions and attributes that when it does fit our lives will be a really, really wonderful uh, revelation that we're, we're following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. We're making the choices and the decisions that are godly. We're carrying out the will of God. The one that I want to emphasize here is that love is not easily provoked. When I look at the, what I experienced last week, I realized there was a provocation taking place. There was an outside influence that was affecting my behavior, my thoughts, my attitude, and ultimately the attempt was to affect my actions. So the idea of being provoked is something I want to toss out there. I mean, just for the sake of, of getting on the same page together, I want to give you a moment just to, to think, is there a time or a moment that you can think of when you felt provoked? Now, it might be hard to come up with that without a little context or, or a little definition, so I want to give you a, a definition of provoked. Uh, so if you go to the dictionary, you look up the word provoke, here's what you're going to find. To stir up purposefully. Purposefully. Now that's an important part, that the idea that it's done on purpose, it's not accidental. Someone is literally trying to get you riled up, to get you stirred up, to, to get you in some sort of a, a storm of emotion, and they're doing it on purpose. Now I don't know uh, how many of you have grown up with siblings, or, or, but I can tell you when you do grow up with family and have siblings, this is something that is kind of normal everyday life. I've got two sons, they're 12 years old. It's not uncommon for mom or dad to say, stop provoking each other. You know, you're trying to get each other worked up and you need to stop, it's, it's inappropriate. So as we look at provocation in our lives, we realize it's to be stirred up and for it to be on purpose. If something is provoking you, it's intentionally trying to stir you up. And why would it do that? Well, here's the, the another, another definition, the second definition. When you turn to the dictionary, normally you get more than one definition. They're all similar in meaning, but, but a little different in their wording. To cause a person to become angry, violent, etc. I mean, once you covered angry and violent, I think etc. is kind of irrelevant, right? It's like, who cares about etc. at this point? If you're dealing with anger and violence, uh, we've crossed the line. Well, to, to con continue my confession, that's what I went to my wife and said. I told her, hey, this has gone on. This person has done this. They've done this repeatedly. They're doing it on purpose. I'm angry, and I feel violent. <coughs> to which she let me know, uh, that's not appropriate. You know that's not God, and you know that you shouldn't handle it that way. And she's right. So I want to give you a, a word that's used that uh, we don't use every day in our, our vocabulary. Are you familiar with the word exasperate? You are? You're so smart. 
Who, just maybe if you were familiar with that, maybe we should trade and you should take the microphone because it's a word that I, I'm not really familiar with, but, but exasperate, it's a real thing. And, and here's, what it, here's what it means by definition, irritated or annoyed, especially to the point of injudicious or bad judgment, uh, actions or decisions, to not have good judgment. When I consider provocation, I see now what's going on. You know, whether you want to say the devil or whether you want to say it's demonic or whether you want to just say it's just people being really ugly, there is an attempt to cause us to to lose our good judgment, to step outside of our good judgment and make bad choices. Let me just give you a really easy example, okay? I know it's not right to go and drag a person out into the street and beat them physically but yet that's what I was tempted to do, right? This is a bad thing. This is a, there is an attempt to cause me to step outside of good judgment, good judgment that is, is legal and law-abiding and healthy. There's an attempt to cause me to lay down good judgment and then begin to make bad choices. That's what provocation is, and that's what it does. Now, I want you to, to step away from that really, you know, animated example, because that's kind of goofy, but I want you to consider that there is an attempt to provoke you on a daily basis, to cause you to step out of good judgment, to begin to make compromised choices and decisions, to, to begin to, to do things that you know you shouldn't do, but yet you're so frustrated that you make that bad choice anyway. I mean, this is going on in the scriptures revealing that, that we have what it takes to overcome this. That we're not just going to live our lives subject to provocation. Every time somebody makes you mad, every time someone upsets you, every time someone disappoints you, you are not in the position where you are forced to react to that situation. Now, I use that word on purpose. I think it's important that we understand the difference between reacting and responding. Now, we've talked about this before in the past, but I think it's worth emphasizing again. I mean, do you remember sitting in science class and hearing that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction? Yeah, so when you look at reaction, that's really what's going on. I mean, let me give you a a couple of definitions here and just kind of look at how the word is formed itself. React. React. Uh, It's to uh, reciprocate uh, or to counteract a force or influence. Here's the second uh, definition of that. To behave or change in a particular way when something happens. So like in my life or your life, we're, we're making good choices. We are living our lives like Christians. Then something happens and then we change. We change the way we behave. We change the way we talk. We change the way we think. You know, things are going great. We're living like Jesus. God is good. Then so-and-so does that, and all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're making choices and decisions that are outside of good judgment. That's, that's going on when we react. Even the word and the way it's formed, you know, it's made of two parts, re and act. Re is back or again an act is to perform, as if you were acting your performance. If I'm just re-performing what gets performed to me, that means you're a jerk to me, I'm a jerk right back to you, buddy. That's reaction. We are called to live lives above reaction, and God's equipped us to do so. We're going to see that in the Word. We're called to live lives that respond 
The older I get, the more experience I have, the more I realize and I begin to expect the people around me to misbehave. I expect things to go wrong now. I expect people to say they'll do one thing and then they do another. I mean, I've begun to see that that's kind of a normal thing in the world. It's not meant to be an acceptable thing, nor is it something that I'm meant to participate in, but I begin to see that it happens and it happens all the time. So my call isn't to react to that and get drawn into that and to begin to reciprocate that or play that back to people. Rather, I'm equipped to respond to that And I want to give you a definition of of respond. To have a particular or planned answer to something. To have a particular or planned answer to something. When something goes wrong, when that bad uh, uh, news comes your way, or you find out that something didn't work out as expected, or you find out that someone did something that was, was counterproductive to what was originally planned or what was expected, when you deal with that situation... We are equipped as believers to have a planned answer to that. I mean, here's the other definition to that, and I really like this one, but yet it's not as as easily grasped. It's kind of something that you either catch it or it just sounds weird to you, but this was a definition, to be answerable. To be answerable. Now, now that one, when you say it that way, just sounds bizarre, but, but let me just switch a little bit of the word structure around, and and it'll make the same statement, but it'll be a little easier to grasp. Rather than to say, to be answerable, how about we say this, to be able to answer. Because of Jesus, I'm able to answer when things go wrong. Because of Jesus, I'm able to answer when people lie. Because of Jesus, I'm able to answer when people fail. Because of Jesus, I'm able to answer when things go wrong rather than to reciprocate it, to play it back, or to react. And here's the key to this. The key really is Jesus. It's about your foundation. I want to give you a passage of Scripture here. I mentioned to you before we're going to find something in the Word. What does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? I mean, when we come to the point where we're willing to confess that we're Christians, I'm a Christian, that means that that Jesus is my Savior. That means that Jesus is Lord. Well, what does that mean? We'll find it right here. Jesus is speaking in Luke chapter 6. If you're taking notes, you can write down Luke chapter 6. It's a long chapter, so you've got to get all the way into about verse 46 or so. Jesus is speaking, and he asks a question. And let me tell you something. It is a doozy of a question. Do you use the word doozy? I don't think I've ever used the word doozy before. It's a first. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 46, Jesus asked this question, Why do you call me Lord and do not do what I say? Yeah, doozy, right? Hey, look out. He says this and it, 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 it pierces the, the reader's heart when you see this. And you can read between the lines and begin to realize what does it mean for Jesus to be called Lord? Here he's, he's making a distinction and a separation that, that doing the things that he says is really what identifies him as being Lord. It, to call him Lord but then to not follow his counsel or advice is, is really to, to misrepresent the status of, of his position in our hearts. To call him Lord is going to mean to do what he says. 
He goes on to say this. Now, this is really important, and I think we ought to catch this, especially in the context of everything that we've been speaking up to this point about reacting and responding and all of those things. Jesus begins to speak, and he says, Why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? Everyone. Now, I love that he says everyone. I mean, everyone is absolute. It's all-inclusive. It doesn't just mean like, well, if you were born into the right family, it kind of works out for you, or if you attend the right church, or if you make uh, you know, the right social decisions, you'll get this result. But he includes every single person, absolute. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and then does them. That's very important. And then does them. I will show you who he's like. He's like the man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the bedrock. And whenever the flood came and occurred and the winds burst against that house, it would not shake because it was well built. Your life is meant to be well built. It's meant to be able to endure all of the outside things that are pushing against it. A better word for that is provocation. It's meant to stand when other things are trying to make it fall. Now, Jesus goes on to to talk about the contrast to this, the opposite to this. He goes on to say, but the one that, that has heard and then not done accordingly. This is like the man that built a house on the dirt without any foundation. And when the winds burst out against it and break out against it, immediately it collapses and the ruin of that house is great. Now, I want to pause here for a second and just emphasize, Jesus is a really amazing and powerful communicator. And, and when you look at some of the messages he preaches, it, it, it kind of is shameful to think of how we have our sermons assembled today. I mean, Jesus would preach messages and sermons that were one or two sentences long, and, and yet they were so powerful, people's lives were forever changed. We want to write volumes of books and create, and there's nothing wrong with that, but, but we feel the need to talk more, and, and never has there been more words with less impact, and, and yet Jesus would make these statements and these comments that would, would, would change people's lives in, in a moment. And this, this paragraph here, it, it fits in my notes. It, it's no more than a couple of inches. It can't be more than, than 10 sentences. And yet he's revealing to us the difference between success and failure in our entire lives. That he's telling us, listen, first of all, you, you come to me and you hear my words. Then you do them. This is, remember, this is right after he said, why do you call me Lord? And then don't do what I say. But if you're going to come to me and you're going to hear my words, then do them. Apply them to your life. And when you apply them to your life, you won't suffer the damage of provocation that will come. Outside forces will come and try to knock you down. They will try to compromise your judgment. There will be provocation. But if you will listen to my words and then do them, you'll stand. That, to me, sounds like we have the ability to respond. Remember, respond versus react. React was, I'm going to play it back to you. What you do to me, I'm going to do it right back. Respond was a prepared response. Having gone to Jesus, having listened to his words, and when that provocation comes, I act on them. I do those things. I perform those things. It is my prepared response. I mean, for you, for me, for us together... 
It's more than just simply coming and confessing that Jesus is Lord, but it's coming to a point where we realize that Jesus is leading me and guiding me into success. And to take his advice and to take his counsel and to apply it to the situations that are attempting to affect my judgment will be the difference between standing firm and total ruin. Ruin's a powerful word. He used the word ruin. Ruin doesn't just mean that something is is in need of repair. It means it's a total loss. So when we look at the scripture here and we consider the word, I want us to come to that point where we realize that the words of Jesus Christ are meant to be applied, and only when they are applied are they effective. Now, this isn't meant to just be a, a, a message, of, you know, finger-wagging, you should do what Jesus says, but rather it's meant to be a, a bit of an awakening and a reminder of how important this concept is. This ought to have an impact on our, our prayer life. I mean, it, it could come into our lives and affect the way we pray. Father, I need the words of Jesus in my life, and I need them to be acted upon. Will you show me? Will you lead me by your spirit? Guide me. How do I do these things? I read them. I see them. I've put them in my mind. I've put them in my heart, but without them being lived out in my life, I'm subject to provocation. This house is subject to, to fall and to fail. Let me put them to practice. I mean, it's, it's, it's introducing this, this idea and this concept into our, our life, our prayers, our pursuits, that will open the door for it to be carried out and effective. I want to give you a couple of, of points of entry for provocation. When Jesus talks about provocation here, he's talking about these outside influences, the storm that's coming, Right? Well, I gave you my example earlier. Life is great, living life, God-fearing Christian man, and all of a sudden, these circumstances change, and I'm tempted to begin to behave differently. That house is built, that house stands, circumstances change, and that house is tempted to fall apart. It's all about the foundation. For you, for me, right here, right now, it's about taking the words of Jesus Christ, applying them to our life, and being equipped to stand. I want to give you a couple of ideas about provocation and its points of entry. Have you heard the saying that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure? Yeah, well, it's true. So rather than have to deal with a a problem in real time, to, to be aware of how those things come into existence and to be able to prevent those things from, from coming into existence can just be really helpful. So I want to give you an idea. Now, this is an idea that comes from my own life, and, and I see it in the Scripture, so I'm willing to present it to you as, as being something that I see in Scripture. Uh, uh, it is open for, for your own thought and interpretation, but I see provocation as having two points of entry in my life. Two points of entry in my life. And I I personally believe that provocation has two points of entry in in any person's life. And I believe these two points of entry are both ministered to by Jesus Christ. So let me give you these these two points of entry for provocation. The the doorways where provocation comes in and wreaks havoc, where, where it comes in and gets us to compromise our judgment or our decision-making. Door number one, insecurity. 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 I mean, to, to feel small, to feel inferior, is, is, is a doorway for provocation to cause someone 
to make bad choices, bad decisions. I can tell you there have been times where I've had my feelings hurt within my marriage, and it caused me to be a jerk to my wife, whom I vowed to honor, cherish, and protect. That's not right, is it? Provocation entered in and caused me to compromise my judgment, to step outside of, of, of what was right and what I knew was right, and to behave poorly. And that provocation entered in through my feelings being hurt or my insecurity. I mean, these are just things that we need to be aware of for the purpose of, of standing guard at the door. Insecurity. Let me give you a, a couple of passages of Scripture. Now, the word that, that I'm going to use isn't necessarily the word insecure, but the word worthless. But worthlessness and insecurity are one and the same. So in this case, let me give you this passage of Scripture, and we'll interchange those words. Proverbs 16, 27. A worthless man or an insecure man digs up evil, his words are like a scorching fire. I have said ugly things. I have said foul things all because of insecurity in my life, allowing provocation to make me compromise what I know is right. So then as believers, we come to the point where we try to discipline the tongue, where it becomes, well, don't say that. Well, that's great, and that's a noble effort, but as long as the insecurity stands, the doors open for that provocation, we'll constantly be trying to say what's right, even though we're constantly under temptation to do what's wrong. The key isn't to discipline the, the tongue. The key is to heal the insecurity. I mean, why train yourself to keep fighting that, that burglar that breaks in when you could lock the door? We're going to deal with this problem over and over and over and over again. And the reality is Jesus is looking to heal the source rather than simply help us discipline the, the fruit or the result. Uh, Proverbs 6.12 says that a, a worthless or insecure person is one who walks with a perverse mouth. I mean, there's so many things that, that we, we see here that are rooted in insecurity that come in through insecurity, and then they manifest in our actions, our, our compromise choices or decisions. That was door number one. Door number one was insecurity. Door number two, where provoca provocation comes in, excuse me, would be the, the opposite of insecurity. It would be pride. I have compromised my choices and decisions because of pride in the past. Provocation has entered in through pride, and, and because that provocation came in, it, it, it caused there to be a temptation to, to change or alter my normal behavior, godly behavior, and make choices and decisions that were compromised. Here's a, a passage of scripture from Proverbs, Proverbs 28, 25, a prideful man stirs up strife. And of course, the, the end result of, of pride, and it's a passage of Scripture that I'm sure you, you've heard quoted before, comes from Proverbs 16, 18, that pride goes before destruction and that a haughty spirit goes before stumbling. So we could read that passage of Scripture and we could see it as cause and effect, you know, that pride goes before destruction. If you're prideful, you're going to know destruction. Or you could see it as Pride goes before destruction is in the sense that everywhere pride goes, destruction follows. And for me, personally, that, that open door for provocation of pride or insecurity is an open door 
to be drawn out of good judgment and into bad judgment. Now, here's a really goofy illustration, okay? But I think goofy illustrations sometimes help because they, they let us see things clearly. But I want you to picture, like, you know, the, the two kids on the schoolyard, one picking a fight with the other, and, and the other one resisting that fight, keeping good judgment, not compromising and being drawn into bad judgment, and then the one says, what are you, chicken? You see provocation trying to use the doorway of pride to get the other one to compromise his choice or decision. Goofy illustration, but it works. Pride and insecurity are these doorways for provocation to cause us to, to make bad choices. Insecurity in our lives can cause us to, to allow provocation to let us make choices and decisions, to do things that we wouldn't normally do, to, to do things that we've been set free from and delivered from, to return to those things, maybe expecting a different result only to be let down and realize that it's the same sinful shame fest that it always was. So here's where we're at with this. I believe that these are the doorways that Jesus ministers to when he enters into our lives. I want to give you a passage of scripture, and I told you before we're going to find what's needed to see salvation, what's needed to see victory. I want to give you this passage of scripture, and I want us to consider it as we close here. That as the ministry of Jesus Christ, as the gospel is being lived out, revealed and released to all of the world, the gospel that is the deliverance of God from all of our captivity to, to sin and corruption, we have that being identified. God sent a man named John the Baptist to identify what was going on, and here's how he identified it. I'll give you a passage of scripture from uh, Luke. Luke chapter 3, I want to look at verses 4 through 6. Now, remember, this is the ministry of Jesus Christ being identified, and it's being identified as, as this. There's a forerunner coming, John the Baptist, to identify that Jesus is coming, and he says, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness to make preparation for the Lord, to make the path straight, to make every valley be filled up, Every mountain be brought low, everything that's crooked be straight, that the rough be made smooth, and then all will see the salvation of our God. So I read that and I think, wow, that's kind of poetic. I, I want to know why he said it that way. And it's not just that he said it that way, but rather that's the prophetic announcement from God the Father to be proclaimed at the coming of Jesus? Is it just because God's got a, a taste for the theatrical? That he would think, hey, it's not enough just to say, hey, Jesus is coming and you're all going to see the salvation of God. But he thinks, no, nah, that's just not enough. We need, to, we need to add something. Let's add something like, hey, let's, let's say the valleys be filled up and, and the mountains be brought low and the crooked be made straight. Let's put a little theater in it. No, there's something here being spoken. There's something being revealed. What's being revealed here is that this salvation that's coming is going to come as, as the way is prepared. That way means high things brought low, low things filled up. 
ministering to insecurity, those low places in your heart and in your mind of inferiority and emptiness and depression. Oh, and let's bring down the high places, the place of arrogance and boastfulness and pride. They need to be brought down. These two points of entry for provocation are going to be ministered to and dealt with, and then everyone will see the salvation of God. For everyone to see Jesus in me, it means closing the door of provocation that is pride and insecurity. It means filling up the low places and bringing down the high places. How will the man who wronged me see Jesus if I drag him out in the streets and beat him? Well, they might go see Jesus, but that's not the point. <laughs> the only way the world will see the salvation of our God is when they see our lives free from insecurity and pride. And that's when they'll see Jesus. When they can see us respond to disappointment rather than react to disappointment. When they can see Christians handle and manage their, their conflicts and their disputes in godly ways and not just mirror the world. We're meant to look different, behave different, speak different, function different in every single level. And it's not just because of some accident or because of some result that happened when, when God decided to forgive or pardon sins. It's an intentional work of our Heavenly Father to heal the insecurity and the pride that opens the door for bad choices. And He's at work in our hearts and our minds doing just that through Jesus. What a great thing. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning, and I want to pray. I want to ask God to do a work in our lives. I think it's important to emphasize when Jesus speaks and he says, why do you call me Lord and then not do what I say? That, those words ought to ring out in our ears and our hearts, not bringing shame and frustration, but rather bringing instruction and direction. I want Jesus to be Lord in my life. I want his counsel to be embraced and put to practice. I want to have the foundation that allows me to stand in the midst of provocation. All of those outside forces attempting to get me to collapse and to, to, to fold, to make compromise choices and decisions. I want to stand firm. And I want to pray and I want to ask God to, to position every one of us to walk in that healing that he has provided, healing from all insecurity, healing from all pride, so that when provocation does come, we're not easily swept away into a life of reaction, leading to destruction, but that we are equipped to respond, that we are answerable or able to answer in a fruitful and a productive way, and I can't think of anything more evangelistic than a group of believers who carry solutions rather than compound problems. Rather than just make things worse like the world would do, actually bringing the solutions that God has equipped us to bring would be the most evangelistic thing we could do with our lives. I assure you that as we live free from the, the insecurity and the pride that opens the door for provocation and bad choices, you will stand out in this world as light in the darkness. It's what I desire for me, for my family, for this church, for this community. 
And I trust and believe God that he's begun this work already and is doing it even now as we speak. I want to pray. You're welcome to be in a, a mindset of agreement uh, or simply just receiving if, if you like. But I want to ask God to do a work in our lives. Father, we bless your name. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus, that we have an example set before us. We thank you for his willingness to be enthroned in the heavens, to be our king. And let his lordship not just be in our confession, but let it be revealed in our actions, that we truly would go to him, receive his words, and then put them to practice. Let every one of us be delivered from a life of reacting to the dysfunction in this world, and let us be by your Spirit equipped to respond, that we would be able to answer with the counsel of our King, empowered by your Spirit, bringing solution into problems rather than making them worse. Let us make them better. And let this be the result of Jesus in our lives, that we would come to know healing and deliverance from the insecurity and the pride that would be the gateway to provocation. Let us be like you, Father, that we would not easily be provoked. And let the foundation be laid. Let the words of Jesus not only be heard and received, but let them be acted on that we might stand firm in the midst of provocation. And as thoughts might arise in our hearts and minds, let them quickly be captured and let them be subject to the truth that you've not called us to mirror the world, but you've called us to reveal who you are through our words and our actions. Let it be evangelistic. Let it be effective and let it be powerful. Let it bring you honor and glory. Let it be pleasing to you as we live out our lives, able to answer. We bless your name and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declared, Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.